Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Man, Virginia Tech beat West Virginia 31-24, and Robbie, I am pumped about it. Give us a cheers. How about a cheers to breaking another curse? We're knocking these things down, just like, you know, <laughs> blowing through walls. It's uh, incredible Hulk style, uh, the way that Fuente is, is taking over this program, but... Um, well, we broke the FedEx curse, uh, obviously that, that was the big one. Um, we also broke the top 25, uh, opponent first game of the year opening game, right? Uh, We had lost 10 and this is the 11th and we won it. So that's That's two pretty actually monumental, uh, things that we had hanging over our head that we were all worried about going into this game. So, um, you know, cheers to, to breaking the curse. Uh, I don't. I feel like I don't have to say a cheers to Josh Jackson because there's going to be a lot of that this year. So I'll find another opportunity. <laughs> cheers, man. And what a game it was! Everyone's been calling it an instant classic. I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but it was one hell of a football game. And right down to the wire, we were sweating bullets. Uh, Before we get into the game recap, let's do a quick few news and notes. Because we won, Virginia Tech moved up to number 18 in both the AP and the coaches poll. I was hoping for 17 to match Josh Jackson's number, but we slipped behind Louisville still, and we're coming in at 18. Uh, We also are getting some new white helmets for this upcoming weekend's game against University of Delaware. And they've got like a hooky stone theme. What are your thoughts on those, Robbie? They're money. That's they are <laughs> just cool. so good. Yeah, and I I really like them. And they they did the whole uniform tonight on Twitter. So I don't know if you got to see that, but they're doing oh, the hooky. Man, I miss that. Yeah, they're doing hooky stone jersey. Um, the traditional hooky. Well, I call it traditional. Uh, the ones that we've used before, I guess I should the say, Battle of Bristol yeah. jerseys, and then the and then white pants. So I okay. think it's gonna look. Awesome. If anything, even if the whole outfit doesn't look great, the helmets are sweet. Yeah, those helmets are really cool, like a matte white finish and a stone in the VT, and that'll look good with the white pants. That's awesome. And the last thing I had was UVA, their AD, Craig Littlepage, retired. Uh, this was news within the state just because he's done such a good job for them in pretty much every sport but football. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he, he's been there since Oh one, which means they've won approximately one football game against us in his time as AD, but all their Olympic sports, baseball, lacrosse, basketball, they've obviously been top notch in just about everything else. So him retiring could end up being a good thing for tech, but they'll probably replace him with someone pretty good as well. Yeah. I'm, yeah, sometimes you just got to tip your hat to somebody, and he didn't do it in football, but he killed it in all the other sports. And, you know, what happened in basketball was a, a big testament to him as well. So, um, you know, it's a rivalry, but, you know, you can, can't help but, you know, see somebody that was good at their job and applaud them a little bit when they do. I'm sure uh, uh, eventually UVA folks will come around to how good, uh, you know, Whit Babcock is and, and, uh, and come to admit that. Yeah. So let's do our quick game recap, and then we'll go over the the good and the bad things in the game. And there were plenty of both, and the place was just absolutely live. I mean, watching it on TV probably couldn't do it justice, but it was so loud and looked just so electric in there. 
Um, yes, part of me wanted to be there, but as I said in our last podcast, maybe me not being there is the reason they were able to pull off the win <laughs> for our, our superstitious types out there. That's right. And so you didn't have to uh, – FedEx just – it's no news to anybody that knows it. It sucks. It's so bad. And the fact that they didn't open up the gates until 3.30 and there were just miles of traffic and people were tailgating yeah. like in traffic Waiting two in miles yeah. Yeah, away from the stadium. <laughs> it was just completely unacceptable. And it just it just goes to show the difference between, you know, um, and not to rag on, there's plenty of NFL teams that do it well. And Dan Snyder is one of the worst. But it just goes to show you college wants to be an experience and NFL wants your money. And that's really all the only difference between right. <laughs> like that's that's where it comes down to. And at FedEx, we even got to do the Enter Sandman entrance, and it was also something to see. It was it was very, very cool and well done. Uh, I'll just start, I guess, in the first half, and, and both offenses really struggled at first. And we went up three to nothing early on a nice drive, twelve plays, fifty-eight yards, but got stuck at the goal line after a nice catch by Cam Phillips and had to kick the field goal. West Virginia answered in the second quarter with a touchdown to David Sills, his first of the night, and then we scored a TD right before the half uh, after a great sideline pass to C.J. Carroll to set it up, and Jackson ran it right up the middle and celebrated emphatically with a leg kick, and it was very cool and to have a lead. 10 to seven at the half after really not playing that well, I thought was huge. Yeah, it was obviously pretty, pretty low scoring. Um, both defenses at that time had some gas. At least it was until um, when Tim settle came out at the end of the first quarter and the wheels kind of came off and we couldn't get any pressure. It was almost embarrassing, but both defenses played relatively well. I think, um, cause I don't want to, I want I don't want to miss a certain number of people, Somebody that stood out in the first quarter to me was Devon Diablo. Uh, he had a nice tackle on a double screen and then chased down uh, Will Greer on the scamper in the first quarter. Uh, so somebody that's probably not going to get a lot of head nod, but I thought he looked really good out there. Uh, and then Will Greer, in the second quarter, uh, you started to see the makings of him and what him and Gary Jennings would be. And that's yeah. that was where it really... Yeah, you know that first bomb pass. I think he went one for one for eight. I think it was uh, beyond twenty yards. He started that way, and then he started to make some completions. They said during the during the game, but you started to see um, that he's he's a talented quarterback, and that um, even though they weren't putting numbers up on the board necessarily. Yeah, things definitely went up a notch in the second half. Both offenses started to find their rhythm. West Virginia tied it up with a field goal. Uh, but we answered right back with a quick drive on a touchdown run by McLeese where he broke a couple different tackles, and that was set up on a nice pass to Chris Cunningham, our longest gain of the night, which was 30, 39 yards. But those couple of runs on that drive by McLeese were really impressive and very welcome to see. Yeah, absolutely. I thought um, you know, to McLeese's runs were great. Stephen Peoples came out with just a vengeance in that first quarter as well. Um, I love the way, and I know – um, that you know he got dinged up because he was running hard right into people, just gaining extra yards, and um, he stood out right from the beginning of the game to me as somebody that just doesn't go down and doesn't want to go down. He's going to try and pull for every extra yard he could get. So yes, him and McLeese both looked looked look, look great. 
we had a chance to extend our lead to 10 after that touchdown, but Sly missed a field goal from 38 yards, something that we'll, we'll come back to a little bit later. West Virginia then scored a touchdown to tie it up 17-17 on another TD to David Sills. We got a nice return from Clark immediately after that. Penalty tacked on for an out-of-bounds hit on him, and Holgo uh, started going nuts a little bit. Uh, that was another theme that, that continued throughout the game. And that set up a one-play drive on a pass to Cam Phillips where he was just wide open, used a little change of speed, and scored a touchdown easily. And uh, at that point, I was just so excited. We're up seven points, and it looked like we were going to really start to take control of the game. Early in the fourth, we had a busted play where Jennings scored on a 60-yard touchdown, and then all of a sudden we were tied at 24 again. Finally, with six minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, McMillan got the go-ahead touchdown, and it was set up on that long run by Josh Jackson right up the gut. I was hoping he was going to chug it into the end zone, and and Cam even kind of made fun of him after the fact, saying that he knew he was going to get caught because he's, quote-unquote, a little chubby. I thought, <laughs> I, I honestly thought funny. he was injured. That hit was not nice. It that, looked they, bad. That cleared him out, and he spent about, in in my mind, he spent five minutes on the ground. In reality, watching it back, he spent two seconds on the ground. But yeah. he got his legs cleaned out and then went, you know, ass overhead. And right. it was it didn't look good for a second there. I was a little bit frightened given how how yeah. well he was playing. And I was like, there, this can't be happening. He landed like right on the back of his head and top of his uh, shoulders. So, yeah, it looked highly uncomfortable, not to mention, yeah, the decleating hit. But a 46-yard run, and on that drive, there was a few nice runs, but the McMillan run was strong. You know, he just went right, and we got good push, and right into the end zone. We had another chance to extend the lead to 10 points at the end of the game. I think there was about two minutes left, and Sly missed another field goal. That one was even shorter. That was only 32 yards, and we had to sweat it out. And boy, did we, because West Virginia, inside of two minutes, came charging down, got a couple conversions on third and fourth downs. Uh, and Sills, I believe, had the tying touchdown in his hands in the end zone. And yeah. I guess dropped it. It was hard to tell because there was a player in front of him and they didn't really show a good replay. Yeah, but and it seems it was a little low. Hold on. Yeah, it, was, it yeah. looked low. It looked a lot like that pass to at the beginning when Josh Jackson threw it low to Cam Phillips and he was kind of motioning up. Um that very easily should have been a touchdown right there, oh, and it would have been tied up. So we can you can say what you will about this game, but things very easily could have been tied in 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 the fourth quarter, and we could have been going to yeah. OT or something. But we did win, and the final score was thirty-one to twenty-four. And yeah, you're right. After watching it back again, I was, you know, because if they had scored, Holgerson's just nuts enough to go for two. Well, you know? let, I mean, let's be honest. So Fuente says, and I believe him, that if we if we scored against Clemson, he was going to go for two in that game. And, you know, this is a rivalry game. He wants to win. I think the fan base would have been all over him if he didn't go for two. So I think he probably would have. Um, so, Well, it didn't happen, thank God. And we did hold on to win by seven points. And I, I guess we should start with the positives from the game. There's a ton of like things to unpack miscellaneous things. And we try to get through some of them in the recap, but I want to start with Josh Jackson. I think that's a natural place to start. It seems like we've got ourselves a quarterback here. 
Uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would I'd certainly say that. He, um, I had him for, in fact, at the end of, I went back, I did um, the QB stats again this time, and uh, I think he had went three for four I had on passes longer than 20 yards. So I thought that was um, pretty impressive. But more so, today Fuente came out and he said that, which there was a lot of debate about this if you follow the key play in French and trying to understand what was going on there, that there were actually only three designed runs in that happened in the game, um, which I thought was mind-blowing because... The thought process that a lot of people had, and, and French in particular was saying it, was he felt like they tried to simplify the game plan, and a lot of them were more designed runs, made to look like option. And um, that just shows, if that is true, granted, Fuente could just be trying to scare people about how good this quarterback is, but if it is true that they were giving him uh, option and he was finding the mesh point and pulling the ball at the right time and you know taking it back the way he did, um, he showed the maturity of a you know a, a, a sophomore that played their red shirt freshman year in that game. I mean, give me a break. More There's, than a sophomore. That was yeah, like exactly. He was incredible, man. I was like a senior out there with some of the the choices he was making and not turning the ball over in his first start in front of that crowd. That could be the most impressive thing, but there's a bunch of things here. 200 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing. The first time a Tech quarterback's done that since Logan Thomas in 2013. And he was a little shaky at first, only 7 for 14 in the first half. But he was, you know, two-thirds completion percentage, 66% in the second half, 138 yards and a touchdown. He really settled down and finished with an 82.4 QBR. And I tweeted out that that was 22nd nationally for the week. And last year, Gerard finished 24th nationally at 74. So I'm not saying Josh is going to keep this up. There's probably going to be some bumps in the road. and But for a first step and first game and the stage, I just could not be more impressed with how he played and how he settled in as the game went on cuz he could have been like I'm not playing well and and you know had a more you know even worse second half and he didn't he he got better as the game went on yeah no there's we could not have asked for more by far he overdelivered in every way shape form and he used his safety valve cam phillips the appropriate way that he should that's what he should be doing in a game like that is whoever he's most comfortable with whoever's the most experienced out there you know, put the ball up and let them help you um, put out yards out there. Who's making the right choices? You know, a lot of people said during the the game and afterwards throwing the ball away at the right time, which I thought we've had quarterbacks, and I'm not going to go into names that have tried to make something out of nothing, and that's where you end up with picks. And there were three, I think, that he threw out. He could have tried to force passes. He didn't. Uh, I was extremely impressed. My my only uh, thought process is, you know, rolling this forward. He was, some of those runs were up against what we now know to be a pretty shaky uh, defensive line, at least up front. So we'll have to see what happens because he looked good running the ball. I mean, really good running the ball. I just don't know what that's going to look like and how much we're going to be able to utilize that when we get up against a really good defensive line. But the way he throws the ball and the way he has, um, is we're able to write and run the jet, the way that we're able to establish the the option and really keep people on their their heels, I think is going to be enough for him to develop into 
probably one of the the top quarterbacks uh, in the ACC this year. That's how good he looked in a game that had so much pressure riding on it. Yeah, and he was definitely helped by the offensive line. He's lucky that he is coming in at a time when Virginia Tech can protect a freshman quarterback a little bit better than we might have been able to in the past. And they did protect well generally throughout the game and opened up holes for him rushing and the running backs rushing. Yoshin Teller just seemed to to beast. I mean, they both had calls that went against them uh, in terms of like false starts. And Teller stuff. always has calls again. That's just par yeah. for the course. But the way he beast modes hit people on the other ten plays makes up for it. Or the fifteen yeah. plays. And what might be most important is that Gallo. I didn't notice any snapping issues. He seemed to play a really good game in an offense that requires you to be pretty on your, you know, P's and Q's when you're making the call. So I thought Gallo, you know, was impressive in the game too. Uh, only one sack on Josh Jackson and it was like only for like minus one or two yards. And we ran for 234 yards, which was the third most in Fuente's 15 games at Virginia Tech. From McLeese, McMillan, and Peoples, we had 124 yards. And that was something we were absolutely going to need is 100 yards from our actual running backs. I know we run sweeps and with wide receivers, and Sean Savoy I thought was impressive, and we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but from those three guys who we knew were going to carry the ball, maybe Holston was going to get a carry or two, but I don't think either of us thought he was going to carry the ball much in this game. Those three guys really delivered. 124 yards. It might not sound like much to some teams, but to get that from our running backs and the way they looked, I thought was so great. And three different running backs. So you're not out there getting... We didn't put anybody in a position to put up 124 on their own and have that, but... And they they do complement each other pretty well. So you, it's exactly as you would think. So you have Peoples, who's kind of the bruising back. And that's not to say that he doesn't go outside, because he did on a bunch of those plays. But when he gets hit, he can still pull down, you know, three or four more yards through contact. You have um, McLeese, which... Um, that, that touchdown, he still bulldozed through a bunch of people over on the right-hand side, but generally uh, was a little bit faster on the outside, which we had been hearing about him being a little shiftier back. And McMillan looked great, you know, too. So uh, I thought that, you know, with three quarter or three running backs out there, I thought it was um, a really positive sign for what it could be this year. And walking away from it, I'm not sure who... If I had to pick somebody or two of the three to play, I'm not sure which it would be because I thought they were they were pretty good out there in their own respect. Yeah, I'm fine with a three-headed monster going forward. If if that's what it's going to be because someone like Peoples, he had to leave the game and his knee got a little banged up or whatever. Uh, that's going to happen. So going into every matchup with hopefully three um, and ending with at least two, that would be a nice. That would be really nice. Uh, I also had Cam Phillips. I mean, we have to talk about him. He's just so good. Seven catches, 138 yards and a touchdown. And he looks thick, like his legs and body. Like he does not look anything like the kid uh, that came in as a freshman. He has definitely built himself up and he is a number one option 
like on every level. I just, I love the way he plays. He went up and got that one, you know, the way he changes speeds, I think is deceiving and just fakes people out so bad. And he can even drop a stiff arm on you too. Mm-hmm. I just love Cam Phillips. Yeah. He went up on one and ripped the ball on what was a pass interference, got the ball out of somebody's hands on a decent uh, length pass. Obviously the long pass uh, that he took uh, right near the end zone, that could have been a touchdown. Uh, then he had the touchdown catch, which was um, that obviously the scheme there was exceptional because he was wide open. But even afterwards, he had the speed to get down there because there were two people back there that caught up to him, and he still was able to kind of push through and have the speed to get into the end zone. So um, came out. He and- was open on that other one too, yep. that one that Josh missed him low, yep. which was a cool design because Josh like ran forward like it was going to be – a run, but then, and then he, he like he and- sidearmed it a little bit though, yeah. so it was it was going to be a tough pass. Uh, as long as uh, as long as he's not passing the ball, being Cam Phillips, then I feel good because that lob that he threw <laughs> gave yeah, me highs. That, that was like was, the first play in the second half, right, or our first offensive play. Yeah, that was yeah. Sam Rogers is gone, so if somebody's throwing passes, it should not be yeah. Cam Phillips any anymore. That's for sure. No. Strong first impressions by Clark and Savoy. Uh, mentioned both of their names earlier, but Savoy had seven touches, 48 all-purpose yards, and Clark, 96 all-purpose yards, a lot of that on the returns. I think he had an offensive touch or two. But I like what I saw from those two guys. We need more receivers to step up because C.J. Carroll did make a couple plays, an important catch along the sideline. But uh, no catch for Kuma. No catch for just about anyone else outside of Savoy and Cunningham had one, I think. Cunningham, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there there needs to be a lot a lot more out there. Um, luckily, you know, the pass freed up the run for us. The run freed up the pass, mm-hmm. and the the you know the painting ended up better than maybe the individual brushstrokes um, because and that's that's what we need. Right. In general, the, the the play calling was a masterpiece, if you want to use the painting analogy. Because other than that one third and one play where I think we threw it and I was like, why would you do that? Because we were running pretty well. Uh, Fuente's play calling or Cornelson's play calling, whoever it was, it was really well thought out. It, If you read French's article on the key play today, the way they were setting things up, it really helped us find a rhythm and Josh get settled in. And it just kept West Virginia so off balance. Yeah. And I think what we'll, um, you know, I enjoy it and get in the offense since we're, we're hitting that because I think things are going to get pretty simplified here over the next few games. But it was a masterpiece seeing it happen um, against an opponent where we needed a W and it was going to be a huge W. So it was all positive on that side. I had some positives for the defense because there are plenty of negatives. But since we're just focusing on the positive right now and basking in the win, uh, Motua Puaka, he played the game he needed to play for the most part. 12 total tackles, 9 solo, a big sack, and 2 hurries. Uh, There were some mistakes, and everyone on our defense, every linebacker made mistakes. Mook got juked on a play, whatever. We'll, We'll talk about it in a little bit. But Moto played a good game. That sack was important at the time. Settle and Walker generated a lot of push, and that's exactly what we needed from them. 
and they would have had more than just one sack for Tim Settle if it wasn't for all the freaking holding that was never called in the game. Yeah, more than one sack, and Greer was able to scramble out on a few plays and get the ball off out of out of positions that certainly would have been a sack otherwise. So, um, hat tip to to him. And you know, it's it's tough because those guys are bulldozing up through the center, and Greer's preparing for where the pressure is coming from. He knows where it's going to be. Plus, our defense getting gassed. Uh, there was two quarters there that they were. You know, pretty damn tired because we kept going three and out, and we're on the on the field. You can say a lot about Tim Settle, but he's not exactly a marathon runner, so he's gonna he's gonna lose some juice. And the, there were multiple times that we went repeated three and outs, and that's gonna just gas your defense. So I think their stats would have been even better had um had we lengthened because even some of our offensive drives were pretty quick, so they were back out right. there again. Yeah, and because they were getting. Disruption. I mean, Walker is just such a disruptive force in there. And while Timmy is the higher recruit, and you know, we more focused just because he's you know people focus on the big guys. He's just a really big guy. But Walker is a stud, and Bud Foster has just praised him again and again. And he really, he might be our best defensive tackle we've had in a long time. I mean. At one point, Luther Matty was as disruptive as he was, and he was a little hampered by injuries. But Woody clearly was very good. Walker's bigger, and Walker is more violent than Woody. So he, he's going to be something to see when he doesn't have three people you know, pulling his jersey and, and, and not allowing him to get to the quarterback illegally. I thought Adonis was impressive. Oh, three yeah. pass breakups in the game and nine tackles all solo. That was, he looked, he, every, um, I feel like Terrell got burnt, Adonis got burnt, everybody got burnt now or then by either, you know, whether it was Sills or Jennings, Jennings but that's just the way it goes. So I, yeah. I think both of those two had good games. I think Adonis had a better game. I think Terrell had an awesome first half, and his second yeah. half, he got stuck with, like either the first half he got he was covering Sills for a little bit. Then the second half he's covering Jennings. And what are you gonna do? I mean that's just He was rough. running so much. He got cramped up too. Yeah. I mean he at one point he had to leave. Uh he might have exhausted himself a little and at a necessity. I'm yeah. but he played well. You're right. He had a great first half. Yeah. We got off the field on third down a lot. Especially in the first half, that was so important. I had said it in our preview. We need to get off the field and keep the, these guys rested as much as we could. Now, obviously, Settle and Walker, we already just talked about, they they got gassed eventually. But if we hadn't played as well as we did in the first half, it would have been a problem. They were only 5 of 19 on third down. We had our own problems on third down, so it was good we held them to that. And as a team defensively, we had to compete with so many passes. We broke up a lot of passes. It's just that... They just kept dropping back and kept firing it. Now, they were running too, but uh, they ran 89 plays. The, and so it's just so hard. The stats really don't bother me coming out of this game. They There were a lot of plays. Will Greer was I, – I, I had the stat about what he was for uh, passes beyond the 20. After that, he made like four passes beyond 20 yards in a yeah. row. It was like uh, it was like 100 and 
their 25 yards that went up on the board in no time. Plus, there one of them was a 60-yard pass. So it was probably more of that. There was about 200 yards of offense on four passes that happened. He was just aerating it out, and you know, um, they. I don't. I don't really. I, the, the stats don't really bother me. It's the same reason Bill Connolly says total yardage is the biggest bullshit you know stat that you can think about. If you want to look at BS stats, go to ESPN and then click on you know the team stats. And every team stat pretty much is going away from us, and the W's for us. It's you know there's certain things that you have to pay attention to, and while their yardage was great, our defense got stops at the times that they needed to. And that's what it that's what it comes down to. Yeah, Ben, but don't break. I mean, five hundred and ninety-two yards. It was the most yards a Bud Foster defense had given up in a decade, and we only gave up twenty-four points. And <laughs> the scoreboard is what matters. Yes, they could have scored at the very end and gotten thirty-one, but most teams that get five hundred and ninety-two yards, there's like sixty points on the board. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's hundred percent right. And granted, they were they were in the worst um, on punt position. They were behind the twenty five all night yeah. long. A lot of times. Um, well, we can get into. Let's talk about our special teams because that's the last good thing I had. Yeah. We had obviously the, nice couple of returns by Clark, but as for the punting, forty four point yards net punting for us. West Virginia thirty five point five. That was such a huge yardage difference because there were so many punts in the game, especially early on in the game, that 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 15 or what is it? This is nine yards difference. Again, like over that whole course of punts, that's a ton of yardage. And they were constantly having to start deep in their territory, even on the last drive when they came almost all the way down the field to score. They had to go a long way. We had six touchbacks on kickoffs. They, I don't think a single kickoff got returned. And West Virginia only had one touchback on their kickoff, and I think they even had an illegal kickoff at one point. Um, it was just a really good advantage as for the special teams in the kicking game. Right, except for slides. Except for the actual <laughs> kicks, yes. But we don't get that. No, Bradburn looked phenomenal. He had, after we went three and out on one of those plays, he pinned them at the two-yard line, which was huge. I thought um, Clark, James Clark, looks the first time I saw him uh, take one, uh, not back like scoring, but to you know run the ball when he caught it, he didn't look that fast. the The second or third time when he buzzed it up the sideline, that dude yeah. is fast as hell. Which was the he's the Ohio State transfer that came to Virginia Tech and is going to be obviously doing kick returns for us, but he's got some legs and he's a reason that that drive went as well as it did because not only that, Andy took the late hit from. I think it was the the kicker, which was yeah. one of Holgerson's uh, going nuts, but he looks great too. Yeah. Having a dynamic returner. I know Stroman has been good and bad. He's he's never really like come all the way, especially with kick returns. I know he had a touchdown last year, but I like what I'm seeing from Clark early on. So hopefully that continues. Flipping over to the bad, we've talked about some of the bad stuff, how much, how many yards the defense gave up, some bad coverages, missed tackles, uh, Mook getting juked out of his shoes by Justin Crawford at one point. Yeah. Uh, Dalton Keene missing that block, which was – yeah. it looked like he was in the dark searching for a ghost 
when he just had both arms out. And Not to make fun of he, he he's played young. well. I mean, he played game. well. Yeah. But he played well. But everyone made some mistakes right. uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, Craw- you know, Jennings had 189 yards. Crawford went over 100. Uh, we couldn't get enough pressure on Greer. That was part of it. Whether that was all because of holding or or because he was getting the ball off, you know, whatever. I don't want to harp on missed penalty calls because we had some of our own that they didn't call. But we just couldn't generate enough pressure on Greer, and he had time to throw. And behind our starting defensive line, we knew we had issues, and this game definitely brought those to light. Yeah, when when Settle came out, I just remember two plays in a row where the offensive line for West Virginia didn't actually look like they were trying. They were just like holding because Greer had almost like six or seven seconds to pass. And as soon as Settle, and that was the play, two plays after, the next two plays after Settle came out, and I looked at that and I go, oh man, we are in big trouble. And it's something that we should definitely pay attention to moving forward because uh, when he wasn't out there, it didn't look great. Granted, it's the first game. There's a lot of development to be had, but it was ugly for a couple plays there. Their offensive line just didn't move back at all on some of those plays. And you're like, oh, man, this is not good. Any any secondary would struggle with that. As for the offense and the negatives, we mentioned we struggled in the first half, but we were only 3 of 15 on third down throughout the entire game. I think we started 0 for 5 and picked up a few, but we need to get better on third down. Fortunately, they were bad too. Sly missing the field goals, huge negative. I mean, he was 45 for 49, uh, what, inside 40 before the game, then went to 46 of 50, so 92%, and then missed two in a row from inside 40. And I said the thing about FedEx, like, it's a weird place to kick, and I don't... You know, I need to like. You look jinxed up it. I can't st- believe I, that you said it that. Wasn't it wasn't a jinx. Like, I said, look out. It could be a thing that could be a problem, and it was. <laughs> um, I'm not worried about it in the game. That kind of weird, fluky stuff happens. I just hope he just moves on, forgets about it. You know, go amnesia on that those kicks and come back out and forget about it and get back to your old self because I'd rather. Him. They were narrow misses. Yeah. They, they didn't miss by much. But, they weren't complete shanks. But right. my point being is that I, I loved what he was doing, which is very consistent in the shorter yardage and very inconsistent in the longer yardage. If we flip that on its head, we're going to be in big trouble because, yeah, yeah you're going to love when he hits a 52-yarder and then loses on a 35-yarder to win the game. So I just hope he moves on. I also noticed we had like, I don't know, three or four false starts right after we had a really good play. Like we'd we'd make a really good play, get a first down, and then next play false start. And some of them, I think the one on Yosh especially seemed bogus, but we definitely false started a few times. And you you got to get to the line and be set. And I know that's that's part of this whole you know Fuente. They're trying to go fast, and I guess that needs some polish. And that will probably come as the year goes as well. Yeah, I mean, Fuente was pissed off after one of those, so I don't know how fast Fuente actually cares about them getting down the field because he was screaming, you know, get set, 
not screaming, you know, he, he would rather go, them go, go, yeah. get set and then take the extra two seconds and not be gassing the defense on the play or just keeping momentum going. Obviously, any coach is going to take that. So if you're not set, then I think we just got to work through that. And obviously, there's going to be some mechanics. And we have, you got the um, uh, Chung or whatever on the, was one of those false starts, if I'm not mistaken. Playing a new position. Right. And uh, has never really been a starter before and all of a sudden is so in his senior year. So maybe that's part of it as well. As for the miscellaneous stuff, that's a good transition because the West Virginia fans and Holgerson after the game seem pretty angry about the refereeing and that they got the raw end of the deal. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, sure, they had nine penalties and we only had five, but there could have been at least three, four, five, six holding calls minimum. There, like there was blatant ones that they missed. We, we've mentioned it a couple times already. We had our own false starts. They penalized Fuente that one time. That seemed like a makeup call. He didn't seem like he had because they had they had penalized Holgerson at one point in the game, and he flipped out. But I feel like they penalized Fuente for getting a little angry because they had to make it even. Somebody was debating whether that was against um, uh, who's the offensive line coach um, Vance Vice. Yeah, uh, there was debate earlier today on the message boards about. That may have been against Vance Vice and not Fuente. It's the actual uh, flag, which I don't think anybody's able to get the film and figure it out. Maybe they have by now, but that, there was a question mark there from actually it was people that were in the stands that saw um, it was a Vice yelling at uh, one of the officials and they were going back and forth at it, which wasn't on film if you were just watching it on TV, but who knows. Another complaint I saw on Twitter was the West Virginia fans angry that it was like a Virginia Tech home game because we had more graphics and more the entrance and more people and like all that kind of stuff. And so it like put them at a disadvantage or something. It's like, give me a freaking break. Well, we also had more people so you could have equally just shown up and they probably would have looked at where ticket sales were happening and made it a little bit more even, but yeah, there was a lot more Virginia tech fans there. Uh, and also going back to the, the penalties, I, I somehow I feel like this comes back to um, shitty Big Twelve uh, defense because a lot of those calls I, I thought were clean calls on the defensive backs that Holgerson's on the sideline calling for a foul. Now I know Virginia Tech's style of playing defensive back I've learned over the years um, can be a little bit. Uh, suspect in most people's minds because they do try and break up by you know throwing their arms through the hands and being a little bit more physical. But some of them look clean, and I feel like maybe that's the reason the Big 12 can't play defense for shit. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the case. I thought we just didn't even come close to playing our best game, and we still won by a touchdown. I mean, we left six points on the board as it was. Jackson missed a couple of open guys, including Cam in the end zone. The D had multiple blown assignments and, you know, various other things, missed tackles and some things like that. I'm just, if we had played just a little bit better, this might not even have been close, but we didn't. And we allowed them to, you know, have a chance to almost tie it up at the end. And I'm just glad we escaped with the win because I would have been sick if we hadn't won this game because I felt like we controlled it most of the time. 
Yeah, I think even if we didn't control it, because there were times that they kind of unleash hell on us on a couple long passes, and we were... I, I, I Don't get me wrong. There was a couple times that I was worried during this game, um, and but I think we controlled the overall tempo of how the game got played, if that makes sense. Not necessarily controlled all aspects of the game or anything along those lines, but we, unlike um, times when Virginia Tech has not been as good, we went in and we controlled and dictated how the game was going to get played, when the points were going to get scored. You have to catch up to us. You know, we're at 17. You have to score the next touchdown, right? That It dictates the momentum of the game, I think, a little bit. So um, I couldn't be happier. I mean, it's awesome. It's a huge, huge win for us, and it means a lot for the year, regardless of, of how things play out moving forward. It's a, a big win for the program. It's massive. First win over a ranked opponent 11 tries, as we said earlier, and now gives us the chance to go 4-0 and before Clemson. We need to take care of our business, but if we keep winning, that momentum is just so big for recruiting and donors and everything. And so just keeping that zero in, in the loss column for as long as you can, it's, it's important, and we do have a great opportunity to get some of the key reserves, reps, win a couple games, and then have the stage set for a huge game at home. It's it's all right in front of us, and I don't think that's going to be lost on the players. And I'm I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's it's ours to lose at this point, which is that's what you want. And that game could have easily gone a different way, but it didn't. So now it's time for to take advantage of it. Let's take a quick beer break before we do a little bit of a UD preview. Robbie, what are you drinking? So uh, I'm having the even more Jesus. So this is <laughs> Evil Twin Brewing. Uh, people are probably very familiar. I don't think we've ever had it on here. The Sweet Baby Jesus, which is a, a pretty well-known beer. But I don't know if we've ever that, had it. Is that it. the Peanut Butter Porter That's one? the Peanut Butter Porter so this is even more Jesus. It's just a imperial stout. Uh, I'm doing my best since people want us to get off the IPA train. Uh, I think it's delicious. It's, it's strong. Uh, it's like 12 percent, so it's got a little. It's got a little uh, back to it, but it's a a classic. I've probably had. Two dozen imperial scent. Jesus Christ! Well, it's an imperial <laughs> stout. So, uh, and I, pro- I think I said no. You said porter earlier. I was like, uh, but it's it's good. It's strong, thick, and you could heat it up and drink it for your morning coffee. That's uh, how I tend to <laughs> tend to think about these beers. But it's good. It'll get you going. I'm having the Saranac. Blueberry Blonde Ale. So, yes, off the off the IPA path, or at least right now. And I've had a couple of these blueberry beers over the summer and into the fall. They're definitely becoming more of a trend. You see them all the time. And this one is a little bit more beer than blueberry, which is nice because so many of the times they they just pump like the sugar into these things and make them taste like the fruit. But this Saranac Blueberry Blondale is really good. I think Saranac is a New York brewery. I'm not currently seeing it on here, but it's 5% alcohol, just 18 IBUs, so you're not getting like any hoppiness whatsoever. It's a true 
easy drinking ale with just a little bit of blueberry flavor. It's a good fall beer. I, I like this. Saranac Blueberry Blonde Ale. Let's talk about those blue hens, Robbie. The University of Delaware generally has a very good football tradition. They had a legend as a coach for 35 years, Tubby Raymond, and then Casey Keeler succeeded him, and they won a total of six national championships, all in you know Division One AA and FCS. But their last one was in 2003. Last year they went four and seven under Coach Dave Brock, but he was fired midseason, and UD actually is coming off back-to-back losing seasons for the first time since 1939 and haven't made the playoffs since 2010 when they lost in the title game. So their tradition has taken a hit in the last few years, similar to ours before Fuente came in. But I think their new coach, Danny Rocco from Richmond, I think he's going to help turn this program around. Yeah, so Danny Rocco, um, it's his first year. He's successful tenure at Liberty and then... Uh, Richmond. Uh, after that, we all just saw what Liberty did this past weekend, but um, you know that's beside the point. Uh, Rocco, he took the Spiders, um, Richmond, back-to-back FCS playoff appearances. He was National Coach of the Year finalist five times in the past ten years. So fifty percent of the time, it was uh, he made finalists for that. Six conference championships uh, with five different quarterbacks, so he can he can figure out who to put under center and and make it work for him. And I think he's on a mission to get them back to kind of what they were be would be previously and probably similar to us um, in a little bit of, I think we're on an expedited path, but a, a, a rebuilding program that I think will get there quickly. Yeah. Rocco hasn't had a losing season in FCS as a coach in 11 years. So I would expect UD's back-to-back losing seasons to end this year. And that's probably more background that you're going to get on any FCS program listening to any podcast, maybe because I'm from Delaware, but also because of the Virginia ties that, that Rocco has. And in fact, there's even a Virginia Tech tie on the staff. Their defensive coordinator at UD is Chris Kosh, who played linebacker at Virginia Tech from 77 to 81. So... Just a few interesting things about University of Delaware. I don't think this is going to be too much of a problem, despite the long intro, but I think there could be some issues, uh, similar to the Liberty game last year. Lindy's picked them to finish ninth in the CAA, which is JMU's division, and it's probably the best division or conference in FCS, but they're not going to be ninth. They're going to be better than that under under, uh, Rocco. And last week, they beat Delaware State in week one, 22-3. It was a dominating performance. I don't know if we have to get into all the details. They have a couple playmakers here and there. Uh, Rocco's a defensive-minded guy. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Richmond was the number 11 defense last year and tied for eighth in turnovers gained. And UD had three turnovers versus Delaware State. So... Maybe this is the game where Josh Jackson lays it on the ground or throws an INT because while UD will probably be overmatched when it's all said and done, they might be able to turn us over a couple times, score a touchdown, and hold our offense down at least in the second half a little bit. Yeah, and they they forced three turnovers. Granted, we we know the opponent was a little bit different uh, in that (laughs) Delaware State game, but... 
Uh, I fully expect them to be kind of the real deal at the FCS level. Um, maybe we don't know as much about what they're going to put on the field, but I I do know, and I'm pretty confidently know, that Richmond made huge strides under that program. And, in fact, I think Richmond uh, may have beat a uh, FBS school or two last year, one of which uh, being just down the road from us a little bit. So uh, the Spiders came a long way. They went head-to-head against GMU as GMU has made their kind of surgeons in, in the FCS program in that conference. So, you know, we're not going up against the powerhouse by any means, but, you know, there can be there can be some, some moments at the beginning of these games and even through we've seen in college football around the nation, uh, especially in week, week one, that you can find yourself a little bit behind or at least tied with a program that you have no business being uh, kind of matched up against. Yeah, and the last thing that I just want to make people aware of is that their quarterback, Joe Walker, he can run a little. He had 800 yards on 200 carries the last two years uh, at UD and had a career high in passing last week. The kid can play a little bit. They've got one good wide receiver in Cherry. They've got a running back in Thomas Jefferson. Yes, that's his name. Yeah, I noticed that as well. (laughs) Who uh, They both went over 100 yards from scrimmage last week in the Delaware State game. And let's be clear, Delaware State is awful. They are a very, very bad FCS team. UD has never lost to them in their nine matchups. But uh, nevertheless, there's a couple playmakers. And with Rocco's coaching on the defensive side, this could very much end up, you know, 13-7 13-7 tech after 20 minutes of gameplay. They could take a little while for us to be like, okay, it's time to wake up and kick their butt. I do like the fact that the game's at 3.30. I think that helps us immensely. We're not just going to sleepwalk through the first quarter. Uh, the way Fuente turned it on in the first few games last year, this is it's going to be a blowout. It's just a question of what we want to see from Virginia Tech in this game. And I'll ask you first, Robbie, what do you, what do you want to see the most uh, offensively and defensively? Uh, both sides, I want to see no injuries. That's uh, always <laughs> okay. against opponents like this. That's my number one. Because uh, it, it's not a conference game, and it's also not a, it's not a reputation game. There's, for this, it's do what you do. If you win by seven, it's not going to hurt you. And if you... You win by 57, it's also not going to really help you that much, whether it's rankings or otherwise, unless it's a close game and it looks like you could lose. So no injuries. They win by seven. It's going to hurt me. <laughs> it will hurt <laughs> you, you, but that. it hasn't. If you look at what happened to people that ended up squeaking by, it didn't really ding them that bad this past, uh, this past week on teams that they had no business being close in. So number one, no injuries is important. Two, I want to see what Fuente wants this offense maybe to look like. And if... You, Jackson goes out there and airs it out 50 times. I think I might feel pretty confident that um, the guy can can you know s- you know sling the ball around the field pretty well because he's trying to hone in that talent. If he comes out and he has them running a little bit more like we saw from Evans against inferior opponents last year, then I might be a little bit more concerned about his accuracy or play calling or otherwise. In any case, it's going to be a simplified game plan. They're not going to show a whole lot on offense. Probably not going to show a whole lot on defense unless they have to. And, um, you know, I want to see a W. I don't need to see a stupid, 
you know, fifty-six zero score to feel good about things. I just need us to come off the field healthy because I we're coming off of a week one where we feel pretty good. And it was shortened by a day because we played on Sunday and not Saturday. So that's something to consider too. So you want to get especially the backups on defense, as many snaps as possible. Based on what we saw last week, I want to see those backup defensive line linemen play a lot because they need experience. They need to get snaps first, you know, the actual opponents. And on offense, though, I, I kind of want the opposite. I kind of want the offense to stay on the field as much as possible. Maybe you take Jackson out at, at one point and put in Bush, but I want to see those young wide receivers get – snaps and reps and again and again and again and and like you said if they're if we're going to throw it 50 times which it won't happen but say it's 35 plus 40 plus that's all the better because we need to to hone that craft i think more so than people's needs to pound it into the line 20 times so uh, that's what i'm hoping for late in the game if we're up fuente will run the ball but i want to see kuma get catches I want to see Clark and Patterson, and I want to see all the guys, you know, like all of these wide receivers that we have. I need to see someone step up and make some plays, show some wiggle, whatever it may be, and, you know, score some touchdowns. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Also, maybe Sly kicking a bunch of field goals. That would be nice yeah. if we could put him out there and get his confidence back and have him booting in a game. That might be a way to for me to feel a little bit better coming out of this, knowing that he's putting it between uh, between the poles when he needs to. No doubt, man. Do you want to just flip into these picks? We gotta let's let's just do it, man. Because we're uh, we've been talking a little while now. I feel like we should just get to the picks and then do our beer break and then call it a podcast. I like it. All right. So the first game is going to be Louisville UNC because I could not find a line for Virginia Tech and University of Delaware. So right before we sign off, we'll give score predictions. But for now, we're just going to do our picks. Louisville, number 17, is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at UNC. Who do you like in this matchup, Robbie? Well, UNC didn't have a really good home appearance last week. Uh, <laughs> no, they did not. But also Louisville did not, uh, or Louisville, if people want to get all like into how you pronounce it, um, since <laughs> people have been. Uh, Appalachian. Yes, Appalachian. Appalachian. That's, I'm just going to say App State from now on. Uh, I'm going to go... Louisville, how's that? Because I think that they got a lot to – I don't think last week went nearly as well as they wanted. I think they feel like they have a little bit more to prove, and now they have an opponent to actually prove it against. I'm with you 100%, taking Louisville, minus 9.5. They fumbled twice inside the five last week against Purdue, and no, they didn't look good, but UNC looked so bad. Uh, I guess Vegas is expecting a bounce back with the line only being nine and a half, but I'm taking Louisville. Next game is Wake Forest against BC. We are picking this game because it's an ACC game and no other reason (laughs) (laughs) because it's such a bad game. Uh, It's a pick them right now. It's an even spread. Uh, I'll go first. I'm taking Wake because that was my team, I think, last year and the year before. And I didn't like the way BC played against Northern Illinois, so I'm going to take Wake. Robbie, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to take BC because just the Dazio, why not? It's always fun. <laughs> and, and and they're at home. They are, oh, yeah. That that, it, that home advantage in up there is amazing. <laughs> Chestnut Hill. 
You go. You you don't just walk into Chestnut Hill and score points. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> no. That's because you don't just walk into Chestnut Hill. That's and take because a nap. you can't get into the stadium because it's closed. Everybody's asleep and they're not there. <laughs> All right. Next game: Pitt at Penn State. Last year, this game was amazing, and Pitt pulled off a narrow victory over what became the Big Ten champs. And this year, Penn State's up at number four. And Pitt is unranked after their overtime game against Youngstown State and Bo Pelini. Pitt is 21-point underdogs in this quote-unquote rivalry. Robbie, who do you like? Why don't you pick first for once so I can... Well, I picked first on the weight game, but I'll Uh, pick first Well, yeah, I'm picking Pitt. It's a rivalry. It's a big rivalry game. I know Penn State, Saquon Barkley looks great. I know that Pitt did not look good against Youngstown and Fo Pelini. I mean, Bo Pelini. Um, but in any case, uh, I think in the rivalry game, 21 points, I, I could see it being inside of that. I obviously still think Penn State's going to win, but people are all over Penn State right now, and it's actually yeah. starting to give me nerves. So um, I, I think I'm going to go 21. Twenty-one's too many. Uh, I'm taking Pitt, and if you remember, there was a year where Pitt, I think, lost to Youngstown State, but then beat us, and then came within uh, a minutes of beating Notre Dame in that same year. Pitt is one of those schools that, if it's any kind of quasi rival, Notre Dame, us, Penn State, they're gonna be a pain in your butt. And then we've been pitted too many times to not take Pitt against the spread. So Pitt minus uh, Pitt plus twenty one. I'm definitely taking Pitt. Next game. Auburn at Clemson, one of the biggest games of the weekend. Auburn is number 13. Clemson is number three. And Clemson is a five-point favorite right now. I'll go first. I will take Auburn. I know Kelly Bryant looked amazing last week, and Clemson's defense is just so good yet again. But I just feel like it's going to be close. Even if Clemson wins the game, uh, it's going to be, you know, Three or four points. It's not going to be the five. Uh, I like Auburn. Who do you got, Robbie? Yeah, I do not like the five points. I feel really good about Clemson winning this game, but the five points is such a Vegas burn right there. It just pisses me off. I'm going to go Clemson for that reason that you just said, and I don't, I don't know if I believe the hype on Auburn yet. It's been or three years running that people have been talking about Auburn. I just want to see it to come to fruition before I can start getting confident about it. And I do think Clemson came out and showed pretty well last, uh, last this past weekend. So I'll go the opposite. All right. You're taking the, well, I was going to say you're taking the tigers, but they're both tigers. You're taking the home team. Yeah. L- I'm taking LSU. <laughs> Next game, Georgia at Notre Dame. Really interesting matchup, SEC versus Notre Dame. You don't see that too, too often. And Georgia's number 15, Notre Dame is number 24. They popped into the rankings for reasons unknown. Uh, They did throttle Temple pretty good, but I'm not sure that warrants being ranked after a 4-8 season. But I digress. Notre Dame is actually four-point favorites over the 15th-ranked Bulldogs. Robbie, who do you got? Uh, Georgia. I don't feel like going to Notre Dame is as scary since we went there and we won. Yeah, 
after being down 17. <laughs> did we, did we win? We did win. Yes, we did thank win. you. I'm going to take the Irish mainly because I don't understand the spread. So when I see a spread like that, that's four points in a in a team that I wouldn't consider to be the favorite. Well, George uh, is starting a new quarterback, right? It, it wasn't uh, that, I, that maybe I don't really even know. Yeah, I think <laughs> if you look into it, I think it's because George is starting a new quarterback. So um, I'm pretty sure that's why. Who might be better than the first one? Yeah, Who knows? Been... <laughs> but I'm taking I'm taking Irish anyway. That's right. Uh, next game, Stanford against USC. Stanford's number 14, USC is number six, and USC is the favorite by seven big points. Who do you like in this one, Robbie? I mean, uh, this is one of those stupid betting where we do every week. So last week you had Sam Darnold doesn't look as good as he's supposed to. USC is supposed to win by 40 points. They don't. You come back. You have Stanford who... Who, who played Rice down in Australia, which really gave us a good feeling for what was going to happen. Stan- and mashed them. Yeah. You know Stanford's offensive line is going to be awesome. You know that they have a great running back that replaced um, uh, Christian McCaffrey. So you got those two boxes checked. And then the question is, is how do we think that that game really mattered last weekend and Sam Darnold and what they did? I don't know. I'm going to go Stanford. And maybe it's just because I like their coach. I'm going Stanford too. It just seems like a few too many points when Western Michigan ran for a ton of yards on USC and Stanford loves to run the football. So I'm taking the tree as well. And the last game I had, the big one of the weekend, Oklahoma at Ohio State. Oklahoma's number five. Ohio State's number two. We got a top five matchup, and Ohio State is seven and a half point favorites. I'll go first. I like Oklahoma because of Baker Mayfield. I think he's one hell of a quarterback. And Ohio State, they did really wake up and kick Indiana's butt last week, but they just outlasted Indiana. They're so much more talented than Indiana. This Oklahoma team has tons of talent. And so I, I just like them to go in there and I kind of like Oklahoma outright. Like if I was really betting this game with my own cash, I might take them on the money line. Wow. That's aggressive. I was going to say that the point spread's kind of shitty at seven and a half. So that makes it tough because I could see this be a touchdown game or maybe a six point game, like two field goals, something along those lines in Ohio state's favor. (sighs) Man, they do not. I know we went up to the shoe and we beat them, but not a lot of teams do that. And It doesn't happen too often. Exactly. And I know, believe me, Baker Mayfield's amazing. I, I get it. Uh, but Ohio State's also been listening to the fact that they didn't really play up to par last weekend. So I'm going to go. I'm going to root for the, my wife this weekend and go with Ohio State. Okay. And that's rough with a seven and a half point spread. That sucks. I mean, that's not fun. Like if it's a <laughs> six point spread or five and a half, then that's not a big deal. But seven and a half. You're, ba- you're banking on the Big Twelve just kind of not being good at all. Like that. Mo- and then most people do think that. And I don't. I don't necessarily not think that. I just. I just really like Baker Mayfield, and I think he. Maybe he's got some Michael Brewer in him. It's going to get that win at the shoe. Well, hopefully it's not a broken collarbone. 
<laughs> that's right. That's true. But that was at our own place. All right. Well, that is it for picks. All right. Robbie, why don't you give me um, – No, you give me what you're drinking. Oh, we're going to – Oh, okay. you want to do a point spread or a point pick for our game? Yeah, prediction. Uh, 42 to 10. I like that. I'm going to go – I'm going to go 40 to 7. I don't know why I'm picking 40. That's a really bad that's a really bad pick for a point total. But You could take mine 40. and you could take off a safe <laughs> like a minus a safety, I guess, or really. yeah, I feel like I have to stick with it now, but I do expect us to score 31 points or more and them to get 10 points or less. Huh? So the, the, that's what I fully expect. If they get like 17 points, I'd kind of be pretty disappointed in our defense, honestly. I wouldn't be that worried about it. I really don't care. I don't care what they score as long as it's like sub 20 and we get the win. That's all I care about. We got bigger I'm fish to, We got bigger fish to fry coming up after this game, and that's no slight to your blue hens, but it's true. It's, it's definitely true. Uh, let's take a beer break before we sign off. All right, what are you drinking over there? I'm having the Joe... It's a coffee porter by Philadelphia Brewing Company. I stayed local for, for my second beer last week, and I'm doing it again this week. I'm a big fan of coffee porters, uh, coffee stouts, coffee beers in general. I know you are too. Uh, and this one is absolutely excellent. It's not the biggest brewer in the world. I know Philadelphia Brewing Company hasn't gotten that much distribution, but – they're getting bigger slowly but surely, and this Joe Coffee Porter is excellent. And if you come up to Philly, they have a good tasting room in the Northern Liberties, Fishtown area, and I'd highly recommend it. But this Joe Coffee Porter is really good. I have a buddy, Nick, uh, I'm going to the game with this weekend. He's a huge fan, so I'm going to have to bring some of these down to him. But I uh, I love it, man. What are you drinking? So I went with the El Guapo Agave IPA, O'Connor Brewing, which is in Norfolk. And that's um, it's about seventy IBUs, seven and a half percent alcohol by volume. And this O'Connor's actually, I know it's Norfolk, but has made a big push in Northern Virginia. So I go to a bunch of places, and they have uh, this on tap. It's a I would characterize it as a pretty decent IPA. So. If you go somewhere and they have like Devil's Backbone on tap, it's like go with this one. If they have, you know, some of the other not so great IPAs that a lot of people end up drinking around here, uh, I would stick with um, with this one, or at least go to this one. I don't get uh, the Agave IPA. It's 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 got a kind of pretty mediocre flavor to it quite honestly, but it's good if you're just looking for an IPA and you end up at a bar and they got three things on tap. <laughs> there you have it, a ringing endorsement if I've ever heard one. I know. It's, I, can't, I can't give it too much. How happy were you all weekend last weekend with so many games being on? It was just, it was just great. I, I drank way too much during our game. I had a headache till about 5 p.m. the next day. It was, it was pretty brutal, but worth every beer I was drinking. Yeah, the games were great. I heard, you know, most of the national pundits that I listen to, podcasts or otherwise, said that they thought the best games were actually the last three, the two on Sunday. 
and the one on uh, Monday. So yeah, that was a lot of people talking about Virginia Tech, West Virginia. I thought they would fly under the radar given how long it's been for the rivalry, but they played it up enough, I think, during the 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 game, and they kind of, you know, they kind of set the stage for it a bit. And those people, because the game was so close, started to kind of look into it and figure out what the hell are these two teams playing each other for. Or maybe people just see two Virginia names and they're like, oh, this must be a rivalry. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure, but in any case, it, it looked really well on us and it gave us a nice springboard for the season. Yeah, because the Texas A&M and UCLA game had gotten so out of hand, I'm not sure what time that started, but I'm guessing that some people probably flipped over and were like, this game's not even close. So I'm going to flip over to the game that's close. Uh, just you know, West Coast people or whoever. And got a chance to see some of our second half, hopefully, and well, see probably Josh three, qu- was three quarters, to- probably because right UCLA wasn't they near, their comeback didn't really start until the beginning of the fourth quarter, I think. Oh man, if you were a Texas A and M fan, how are you feeling? <laughs> Even today, if I Wednesday, oh man, I would just be I wouldn't be able to like look at Sports Center or anything. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, that's it was. Never mind the numbers of the comeback, but there it was astonishing the way that they did I mean, it because there wasn't it wasn't special teams, it wasn't fumbles, it wasn't interceptions. It was just uh, the way that people characterized it today: a ninety-yard drive, an eighty-yard drive, and a seventy-yard drive, and just putting points up on the board. Unbelievable! Yeah. I was actually thinking about it and what game made me feel as close as I could get to an A and M probably feels. And it was the Matty Ice uh, comeback against us in Blacksburg in 2007. And I went to that game, and it poured down rain, and it was absolutely miserable. And if we had won, we probably would have been in the national championship. And now I just now it hit me. Yes, I know what it feels like to be a Texas A&M fan today. <laughs> all right. Well, now that we've depressed everybody right before we're all finished up. I know. I know. But I am looking forward to the game this weekend. You know. I got Nick, Mark, Boo Boo, Joey, Phil. All my buddies are coming down, man. My girlfriend and um, and one of their wives, Nora, is also coming. It's going to be a great time. I I cannot wait for the game opening weekend in Blacksburg. It's it's going to be a, yeah the the home opener. It's going to be lit. Be yeah, my, it's, it's going to be, be lit, lit for me too. Uh, <laughs> I got a seven-week-year-old daughter. Uh, <laughs> me, my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I think we're going to be with uh, with Joe this weekend. Lanza watching the game over at his place. So um, it's going to be family fun time for his family and my family. And we're going to watch we're going to watch the game. And I'm excited about taking a low key after uh, after last weekend. It'll be fun. All right, man. Well, I had a good time today, and I had a great time watching the game on Sunday. Everyone enjoy the University of Delaware game. Let's see if we can develop some players and make the next step before we play ECU and ODU and hopefully stay undefeated before Clemson. Until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.